thankful to be here with you this morning. I, for years, have heard about Covenant Church and have known Brother Jimmy and have heard his testimony of his love for you here, and uh, it's a pleasure to get to be here. I'm just sorry that Brother Barber is unable to be with us this morning, and I want to be mindful of him in prayer and pray the Lord will give him a complete recovery and restoration of his strength and ability. I know it breaks his heart to be unable to be with you in, in worship and to miss these services for this period of time. So we want to be mindful of him in prayer. Uh, spoke to Brother Herb Hatfield this morning. He asked me to give you his love and greeting as well. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer together as we enter into this portion of the service. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for the witness of this congregation that meets together faithfully and exalts your name in this place. And Father, I ask that you would uh, continue your work here and in them. I thank you for these two dear sisters and for their faithfulness and for their love for you and for your people. I ask that you would give them strength each day and that you would strengthen them in your word and cause them to rely upon you and to share with others the, the wondrous uh, love that you've revealed in and to them. Father, I ask that you would be with your churches wherever they meet around this world. Father, that you would cause your name to be lifted up and your people to look to you and to depend upon you for understanding, for wisdom, for strength in these perilous times in which we live. And Father, that you would manifest your presence and magnify your name uh, in us, whether it be through through joy or sorrow, whether it be through life or death. Father, that your name is exalted. And Father, we would give you all praise and all glory. Father, I ask that you'd be with Brother Barber and that you would bless him with healing, that you'd enable him to recover from this current sickness, that you would enable him to recover from the other issues that he's been dealing with in recent days. Father, restore his strength, his ability, and give him uh, give him the ability to continue the work that you have, you have ordained for him to do. And Father, to be a blessing in this place and wherever his words go through means of the internet and other devices. Father, we thank you for the wisdom you've imparted to him and for the study that he is engaged in. 
Father, we ask the same blessing upon your ministers throughout this world. Father, we know we live in a time when Satan is working and and actively seeking to destroy and to de uh, deter those who would speak in your name. We know, Father, that we live in a nation that is confused and has turned aside from your word and the truth therein. Father, we ask that you would restore understanding, that you would restore faith, and, Father, that you would cause those who walk in the light of your truth to uh, to be emboldened and, Father, to declare it boldly. Father, we ask that you'd be with us now this morning, that you would give me words to speak that would be edifying and that would, would magnify your name and your power. And, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to turn this morning and begin reading in the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. This is in the middle of a, a context where Jesus has performed a great miracle of healing, and the Pharisees have been angered. They've been angered by the fact that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day, and they felt that that was a violation of God's law, in particular that Jesus said to the man, having healed him of his lameness, take up thy bed and walk. They have complained to Jesus, and Jesus responds to them and tells them essentially, what I'm doing is not wrong, and what I'm doing is the work of God. In verse 17, he says, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. And that was for the Jews a, a last straw of sorts. The Jews therefore sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So as we begin reading in the next verse, verse 19, let's understand they're upset with Jesus because Jesus has made himself equal with God. Jesus has essentially declared, I am one with the Father. And that's a continuing theme in the gospel, and particularly John's gospel, is to exalt the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and that makes all the difference. And for them, that was something they couldn't bear with. So beginning reading in verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son." that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. 
I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. I'm going to stop there for now. So there's a lot in this reading this morning, a whole lot to consider. First and foremost, Jesus sets forth that, yes, he is equal with the Father. In fact, he says the Father has committed unto him the Father's work, the work of judgment, the work of executing judgment, the work of giving life. And again, there's so much wrapped up in in this teaching. But what I want us to think about this morning is Jesus Christ as the one to whom all judgment has been committed. Jesus Christ, the Judge. Now, the word judgment has a lot of different connotations or meanings as we consider it. We think of judgment as the judge sitting on the bench rendering a judgment or a ruling that then must be executed. And that is, in this context, one of the things Jesus is talking about. In fact, Jesus says, The Father has given unto me to execute judgment. So he is the judge that is ruling on a throne, that is making decisions. And he's judging who is guilty and who is righteous, who is innocent. But judgment also carries the idea of of understanding or of wisdom, discretion, figuring out what's right and what's wrong, knowing what to do. And for us, maybe in our daily lives, that's one of the greatest struggles is having good judgment, knowing what we ought to do, what we ought to think, what we ought to say. And that judgment, too, comes only from the Lord. It's the Lord who gives us wisdom, the Lord who gives direction, the Lord who gives understanding. And we need to be careful that we don't try to place ourselves in the position of judge. And Jesus Christ is pointing out to these judges on the Sanhedrin court, these Pharisees, these rulers of the Jews who are judging Jesus Christ to be a criminal. He's telling them, you don't have any judgment. You don't have any understanding and you don't have the authority to sit in judgment of me. So Jesus has said that I do my father's work. Remember verse 17, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Jesus is telling them the work of God is my work. And the things that I do, they are by definition the things of God. In a later chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus is going to say, I do always those things which please my Father in heaven. I do always what God is pleased with the Father. So he says, truly, truly, I tell you, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus establishes for us that there is no difference between his deeds and the deeds of the Father. And that's really brought home in in the 14th chapter when the disciples are are talking to Jesus before his death. and, And Thomas says, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there is no difference between the work of Christ and the work of the Father. What things the Father does, these things also doeth the Son likewise. Because the Father loves the Son and has shown him all things that he himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Jesus says, I know the Father's will, and I know the Father's work. Jesus says, unlike all of us, 
he has a complete understanding of what the Father is doing. And the disciples struggled with that, not just these Pharisees to whom he's talking, but his own disciples. Remember when Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, you've said the truth and you're blessed for it. And I'm going to build my church upon the rock of this revelation. He then says, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to suffer many things. and I'm going to be killed. And what does Peter say? Be it not so to thee, be it far from thee. No, Lord, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. The disciples struggled with understanding the will of God, the purpose of God. Why is that? Well, Isaiah is by inspiration led to tell us God's ways are higher than our ways like the heavens are above the earth. His understanding is so much greater than us. His thoughts are so much greater than ours. They're past finding out. But Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And not only that, he'll show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. And what are these greater works? Just like the Father raises up the dead and brings them to life, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. This verse speaks not only to the life-giving voice of the Son of God, but to the, the sovereignty of God. He does what he wants to do. And that's something that all professing Christians ought to gain a clearer understanding of than many have. As the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Who does he give life to? Whoever he chooses to, whoever he wants to. There's nothing hindering Christ speaking this life-giving voice. And when he speaks, just like Lazarus rose from the grave, they come to life. It's the will of the Son here. As the Father judgeth no man, he's committed all judgment to the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So Jesus is talking here to these Pharisees, to these rulers of the Jews, and they profess to be servants of the Most High God. They profess to serve Jehovah. And Jesus here draws a sharp line, and he says, You cannot honor the Father unless you honor the Son. Well, there's a world of people today who need to hear that message. People who profess to worship gods, People who profess to worship Jehovah, people who profess to worship Allah and they call him God when he's in fact the opposite. He's the devil himself. But what do they say? They say we'll have a God, but we won't have a son. We won't have the son of God. We won't have Jesus Christ. Jesus says there is no fellowship between light and darkness. And those who worship a father but do not acknowledge his son, they don't worship the father either because there is no light. There is no truth. To honor the Father, you must honor the Son whom he has sent. And then verse 24, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. 
This is a verse that speaks to evidence, but it speaks to action as well. The ones that hear my word and believe on the Father. That is, believe the word the Father has given. The prophecy of Old Testament Scripture, the commandments under the law, the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. I mean, after all, God the Father is the one who spoke from heaven when Jesus was being baptized and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The ones who hear the words of the Father, who believe on him that sent me, have everlasting life. You either have it or you don't. And if you believe on Jesus Christ, if you believe on the Father and the Son whom he hath sent, then you have everlasting life. And there's comfort in that knowledge. Why? Because if you have everlasting life, you will not come into condemnation. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is, already is, passed from death unto life. So Jesus here introduces this idea of death, and he's talking to people who are living, or at least they think they're alive. But he speaks here to what is a real death, a separation from God, an enmity from God. That we're all born in sin, we're born in death. And Jesus says, is passed from death unto life. Well, how'd that happen? The next verse speaks to that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Jesus Christ quickens whoever he will. And how does he do that? He does it with his life-giving voice. This work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we read about throughout the New Testament Scripture, is a life-giving voice or action. The voice of Christ speaks and the Spirit moves. And the Spirit takes a heart that is dead and gives it life. This is what we read about in the Ephesian letter. And you hath he quickened. The same one who raised Jesus Christ up from the grave. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. But no more. Why? Because you hath he quickened. He's made you alive. And Jesus says, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Why? Because Jesus Christ has life in himself. And that life that is in Jesus Christ, it's imparted to everyone who is in Jesus Christ. And you are in him by the choice of God the Father. So Jesus says... The hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that live, because the Father has given to the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. That's an interesting turn of phrase that he uses. God has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. There's something in Jesus Christ's humanity that renders him the perfect one to execute judgment. So there's much written about the judgment of Christ in the world. In the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 
stands there on Mars Hill addressing the the Gentile pagans there. And as he speaks to them, he, he talks about the person of Jesus Christ. He talks about the rejection of God by the world over. But he says that now he hath commanded uh, all men everywhere to repent. In verse 30 it says, uh, those who had worshipped gods made out of silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. It says that the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. There's something about the manhood of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, that God is appointed by him to judge the world. And that judgment is a coming judgment. He has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Now you can imagine these individuals standing there. So they were angry and they were desiring to kill Jesus because Jesus was claiming by implication that he was equal with God. He made himself equal with God. Well, rather than back down or be afraid, Jesus has now doubled down on that claim. Jesus has said, yes, I am equal with God. In fact, God has given me all authority and all judgment. And there's a day coming when I will judge the world. So he's basically telling these people, I am your judge. You don't get to judge me. I am the one who is in authority. And they're standing here now with their mouths gaping open. They don't know what to say, how to respond, what to think as Jesus is speaking to them. And Jesus says, don't marvel at this, verse 28. Marvel not at this. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Jesus has just told them a great mystery. He's revealed to them the will and purpose of God in a marvelous way, and they're astounded by it. They don't know what to think. Jesus has said the hour is coming and now is, when those dead in trespasses and in sins shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those that hear it shall live. And they're astounded. You see, the natural man can't understand spiritual things, and they're like Nicodemus was in John chapter 3. They're just puzzled by what, what Jesus has said. They don't understand it. So Jesus then brings it home by talking about something more natural, more physical, something they can actually think about. He says not only will those spiritually dead be brought to life by the voice of the Son of God, but those naturally dead, those people who are buried in graves, who have slept in the grave, their bodies are dead. They are going to one day hear the same voice, the voice of the Son of God, and they are going to live. They're going to come forth out of the graves. Well, if they were astounded by the first thing he said, the second one blew their minds. They couldn't comprehend how such a thing could be. But Jesus says, that's the kind of power, that's the kind of authority that I wield. And when they come forth, some are going to come forth to the resurrection of life, and others 
the resurrection of damnation. In the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit speaks of this as the second death, this resurrection of damnation. He says those who have part in the first resurrection, the resurrection with Jesus Christ, they over them the second death hath no power. There is no second death. Why? They come forth into the resurrection of life. But these who come forth to the resurrection of, resurrection of damnation, for them there's only greater judgment, greater wrath to be looked forward to. So Jesus Christ establishes he is the judge of all the earth. He has all understanding. And the works that are the works of God are the works that are done by him. The Apostle Paul, writing by inspiration in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, speaks of Jesus Christ as a judge in the here and now. You see, Jesus Christ didn't say all judgment will be given to me. He says all judgment is given to me. It's before Jesus Christ that all in heaven and earth stand or fall. It's before Jesus Christ that all of our thoughts, all of our works, all of our deeds are judged. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We are holding something precious that has been given to us of God. We're stewards. We're caretakers of the mysteries of God. Jesus said, the Father hath shown the Son all things that he doeth. Paul is here implying that the Son has shown us something of the mysteries of what God is doing. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful Stands to reason. We're caretakers. We're stewards. We ought to be faithful. You remember Jesus tells the story of the stewards that were left in care of his money, the rich man's money. He left them talents, and they were supposed to take care of them. And he chastised the one steward for not putting it to good use, not caring for it adequately. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. So often in life as believers, we struggle with worrying about what others think of us. Or we worry about our own selves. We try to evaluate our our deeds and our actions and our words and figure out whether we're measuring up to a certain standard or requirement. We worry about whether what we're doing is right or good enough, and we worry about it in terms of what people are going to say or think. And the Apostle Paul at this time has many people speaking against him. He's preached the gospel at Corinth. He's been instrumental in establishing a church at Corinth, but that church has grown too big for itself and certainly too big for him. They think that they have a better understanding than he does, and there are men who are trying to tear him down. And the Apostle Paul says here, I don't concern myself with what you think or man's judgment. And we need to be careful not to judge our actions by the standards that men would apply. That's especially true as we walk and as we live in the church of Jesus Christ. There are those who will say that it matters little what we say or do or we're not doing it right. 
And there are churches in this world that are geared toward finding a way to grow their numbers and grow their influence and, and be bigger and, and more powerful and more influential in their communities. And, and it's, it's a pragmatic, a practical approach, whatever does the most good. But Paul says, I'm not concerned with men's judgment. I'm not concerned with you, the Corinthian church. Yea, I judge not mine own self. One of the greatest struggles we face as believers is having to let go of that temptation to judge our own selves according to our own expectations. The Lord doesn't work on our timetables, and the Lord's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. And we're commanded to be faithful, and we're directed by the Holy Spirit in our doings. But sometimes the things we do bear fruit long after we've departed the scenes of this life. Sometimes the things that we do today will not bear any fruit that will ever be seen. And sometimes when that fruit is manifested, it's years down the road. We don't know what the Lord is working. And Paul says, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. The Lord is the judge. You see, Paul has internalized this teaching that Jesus Christ gave at that point so long before. That all judgment has been committed to the Son. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. He says there's coming a time when Jesus Christ is going to judge. He's going to bring to light the things that right now are darkness. The things that right now we cannot understand. And this is following up on an idea Paul introduces in the first chapter of this epistle. Because in the first chapter, uh, Jesus speaks to the wisdom of this world. And how it is that the world doesn't understand and cannot understand the things of God. But he says that we have an understanding. And in him we have the ability to comprehend. In him we have the ability to understand. In the second chapter he concludes with this idea. He says in verse 15 of chapter 2, "...he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man." For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul says we're going to walk in the wisdom that Christ has communicated. We have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to understand. We have some manner of judgment. So we're not judged of men of this world, but rather we recognize he that judgeth us is the Lord. He says... God is the judge. God is the one who will reveal. Judge nothing before the time till the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Then shall every man have praise of the Lord. Make manifest the counsels of the hearts. What seems to be implied in this text is that the heart matters more perhaps, than the deeds themselves. It's important that we be walking in the light of Christ's presence. 
and that we recognize his authority, his supremacy, his majesty, and that our hearts be fixed on him. And if our hearts are focused on him and we walk according to the revelation that has been given, walk according to the truth that has been revealed, the judgment of the Lord will reveal the heart. It'll make manifest our desire, our passion, the reality of who we are and what we're doing. And that's important because there are many who walk in what appears to be the ways of truth, but their hearts are far from him. The Ephesian church found themselves in that position as Jesus wrote to them in the Revelation letter and said, you're orthodox in your doctrine. You've examined those who have said they're apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. You've done a lot of good things, but I have somewhat against thee because you've left your first love. You've left me. And it's important that we walk in him, that we walk in the light of his presence. John's first epistle He begins his letter to the church by reminding them that Jesus Christ is real. He's physical. He's fleshly. Our hands have handled him. Our ears have heard him. Our eyes have looked upon him. The word of life. Jesus Christ is real. And then he says, this is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you that God is light And in him is no darkness at all. Light is understanding. Light is revelation. Light is the manifestation of what is real, what is true, as opposed to that which is error. And Paul said in the Corinthian letter that Christ, when he has come, there's going to be judgment and there's going to be light that is going to reveal the hidden things of darkness. John writes and says, in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light... If we walk with understanding, if we walk in the strength of his presence, knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ has all judgment committed to him, and it's before him that we stand and fall and only before him. If we walk in that light, we have fellowship one with another. That light will cut through all of the things that bring about disunity, that bring about distrust that break apart the people of God. Because if we recognize it's before Christ that we stand or fall, if we recognize that he is on his throne and he's ruling, and if we seek him first, we'll be drawn together in his service. We'll find that fellowship one with another as we have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Walking in the light of Jesus Christ's lordship, his presence, his reality, recognizing him as the judge of all the earth, will have a cleansing effect in our very lives. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Now, we understand that 
It is the blood of Jesus Christ that literally puts our sins away. He bore our sins upon the cross, nailed them to the cross. We're separated from them by his work. But there's a real sense in which Jesus Christ cleanses us daily from our sinful desires as we walk in the light of his truth. When we acknowledge him, there's a separation that happens from sin. In the book of Titus chapter 2, speaking of Jesus, he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, that's not talking about the end judgment. It's not talking about purification that comes when our bodies are glorified, when we're separated from all the remnants of our sin nature. No, that's talking about right here, right now, today. He gave himself that he might purify us and make us zealous of good works. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. He goes on then to say, if we say we have no sin, if we seek to execute our judgment and justify ourselves and declare I am without sin, we're denying the person of Christ, we're denying the judgment of Christ, we're denying the reality of Christ, and if we do that, we're liars. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Contrarily, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The idea here ties into this concept of judgment. All judgment is committed to the Son. If we believe that and if we know who the Son is, then we're not coming before the judge with a defense. We're not coming before the judge trying to argue that we're innocent. Instead, we're coming before the judge and we're confessing our sins. And this is very much like the picture that Jesus gives when he tells the story of the, of the publican and the Pharisee that went up to the temple to pray. The one man was probably objectively considered more righteous in his deeds. And that Pharisee came before God, the judge of all the earth, and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm thankful that I do good works. I'm thankful that I tithe of all that I possess. I'm thankful that I worship you according to your word. I'm thankful that I am not like others, even like this publican over here. And how often do we come before Jesus Christ, to whom all judgment has been committed, and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm better than all of these other people? Well, that's what the Pharisee did. And that's no way come before Christ because that denies that he is a merciful and loving God. It denies the reality that he revealed in that message to those Pharisees when he said the son quickeneth whomsoever he will. And when he said everyone that believes on God and the one whom he has sent will have everlasting life, has everlasting life. So if we say we don't have sin, We've come before him justifying ourselves, exercising our judgment. There's only condemnation. The truth is not in us. But, but if we confess our sins, you see, Jesus Christ being the judge is not a bad thing. Why? Because he gave himself for you. 
So you don't see him as judge, as a fearful thing. You confess your sins. If we confess our sins, we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is, he takes away that unrighteousness that we confess to him. He takes it away. It doesn't doesn't stand there over us. It's not the wrath of God hanging over us. And he separates us from us because when we confess our sins, that's the first step on the journey to repentance or turning from our sin. Again, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jesus Christ says all judgment has been committed unto me. But if we say that we are not guilty, then we're putting our judgment up against his. And we're calling him a liar. And that means his word is not in us. His truth is not in us. He goes on in the second chapter as he begins to talk about uh, Jesus Christ as our advocate with the Father. Not only the judge, but also the, the advocate And he says, if there's propitiation for anyone, that only propitiation must be in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. The latter portion of this epistle, the Spirit comes back to this question of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. In 1 John chapter 4, just as Jesus said in John 5 where we began, John writes here and says in verse 14, We've seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Our love is made perfect in Jesus Christ. Because we understand that we are in him and he is with God. Whosoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. There is no fear in love, verse 18. Why is there no fear? Because we understand we are in Christ and Christ is the judge. He's the only one that we would have to fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. There's a connectedness between us. That's found in Jesus Christ. Finally, this idea of judgment. We have to look at the book of Romans chapter 8, which begins, there is therefore now no condemnation. That is, there's no negative judgment 
against those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is not going to condemn those who are in him, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What did Jesus say? The Father hath given the Son to have life in himself. And that's what's being spoken of here through inspiration by Paul. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ put to death our death on his cross. And he has given us life in and through himself. So what does that say about fear? What does that say about judgment? After going through the elements of God's purpose and work in salvation, the 8th chapter of Romans concludes with these kinds of thoughts. If God be for us, he asks, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God sent his son, and we believe he did, Jesus said, if we believe in him and he whom he hath sent, there is everlasting life. How shall he not with him, Christ, freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge against one who is in Christ? It's God that justifieth. Again, we don't need to justify ourselves. We're sinners. We confess our sins. We confess our faults. Why? Because we trust that Jesus Christ is real, that he's true, that he forgives and covers sin. Who is he that condemneth? There's no condemnation. Why? Because who can condemn? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That is, Jesus Christ is on the throne of his judgment. All judgments committed to him. It's given to him to execute judgment. Who is going to condemn those who are in Christ? He makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes through the list of all things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him, through Christ that loved us. Because we know him. Because of the light that is found in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. We are persuaded that not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Not things present, not things to come. Nor height, nor depth. Or any other creature, not even we ourselves, no creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When the Jews sought to kill him because they perceived that he made himself equal with God, 
Jesus Christ's reply was, yes, I am equal with God. And all of the fear that you seek to put in the hearts of men of the judgment of Jehovah God is the fear that you yourselves should have as you speak against me. Because all judgment is committed to me. And those who believe on my Father and him whom he hath sent, they have everlasting life. They shall not come into condemnation. They're free from a negative judgment. Why? Because they believe on me. Because I have quickened them. And I have borne their sin. And I will not bring into judgment, into condemnation, those for whom I, at the time, am going to die. Jesus Christ knew what he was doing. That's another important thing we need to gather from this text. He says, the Father has shown me all things that he himself doeth. Jesus Christ didn't come into this world unsure about his purpose. From before he was born into the world, he knew he came to suffer, to die. He moved with purpose. Every step he took was with purpose. Every word he spoke was with purpose. And that purpose was to magnify his father, to magnify his own name, and to do so through delivering you and everyone that was given to him from the curse and reality of sin, and to present them holy, to present them sanctified before his Father. And Jesus Christ, because he is God, accomplishes and does all of his pleasure. He's successful in every way. Thank you for your attention this morning and for the privilege of being able to come and worship with you. I pray the Lord will... Uh, we'll be with and bless you all, and uh, we'll continue to bless Brother Jimmy as he ministers here in this place. We have a song to sing for a closing hymn. Oh, sir.
Father, I thank you for Brother Jimmy, and I ask that you be with him, bless him, and, and heal him if it be your will soon. And Father, I just ask that you continue to bless your people uh, around this world, Father, that we would live in a way that would please and honor you, and that others might see our works and glorify you. Ask your blessing on the food that we're going to partake of here shortly, that it would nourish our bodies and give us strength for today. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. I feel we've been fed. Oh.